Welcome to our eighth Cows on the Planet podcast. This series of podcasts will be exploring the science of beef production, beef, and impacts of cattle on the environment. My name is Kim Stanford, and I'm from the University of Lethbridge. I have been a beef researcher for so long that one of my first paying gigs as a summer student was entering data on punch cards. My co-host is Dr. Tim McAllister, a principal scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, also in Lethbridge. Welcome back to this side of the microphone, Tim, after your stint in the hot seat for the Antimicrobial Resistance podcast the last time. Yeah, thanks, Kim. It was pretty intense, all right. I, I don't know if our guest today knows what he's in for. <laughs> well, we'll try to be a little nicer to Frank than we were to you. <laughs> so the topic of this podcast is manure versus chemical fertilizers for soil health. Are you familiar with that classic Soviet film, Tim, The Seven Brave Tractor Drivers? Well, Kim, I can't see a direct connection to cows there, so no, I've never heard of it. Well, cleaning out the corrals and spreading the manure on the cropland nearby was an annual job for me back on the farm. And while I was spreading my loads of poop, I got to thinking that if tractor drivers were brave, I had to be heroic as I was driving a tractor and a manure spreader. And this led to my imaginary nomination as a hero of the Soviet Socialist Republic. We'll just pause for stirring Soviet music here. I even imagined my medal, which was a brownish ribbon with three cow pie-shaped bronze rosettes. As a hero of the Soviet Socialist Republic wearing my imaginary medal, I always tried to do a good job of my spreading, but I guess I'm digressing a little bit. Well, Kim, I think enough of those manure spreading fantasies. I'm beginning to wonder whether you're losing it a bit here, but on with the real poop. <laughs> Our guest today is Dr. Frank Larney, a soil conservation research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Uh, welcome to Cows on the Planet, Frank. Thanks very much, Tim. Great to be here. Well, Frank, we'll start in on the grilling. Can you please describe how a nice Irish boy like you ends up having a long and glorious career as a soil conservation research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Well, it was a long and winding road, Kim, uh, that leads to your door, just like that Beatles song. So, yeah, I grew up on a mixed farm in Ireland, 100 acres, a place called Monaghan. And we had a cow-calf herd, sheep, and way back we even had pigs and also laying hens and turkeys for the Christmas market. And we grew a whole range of crops, barley, wheat, oats, potato, turnips for the sheep, pasture for grazing and hay and silage. So, yeah, that was life on the farm back in Ireland. And then I went on to do a bachelor's degree in agriculture at University College Dublin, and then followed by a master's and PhD in soil science also from uh, UCD, University College Dublin. Back in 1986, I left the shores of Ireland and went to Purdue University in Indiana, where I did a postdoc. And I worked on no-till for corn and soybean back then. And in 1989, I joined Ag Canada and came to Lethbridge, was hired as a soil conservationist and uh, have been there 32 years already. 
Well, pause for applause here, Frank. Yay! (laughs) Well, we're really happy to have all the benefit of all those years of wisdom for our podcast. Thanks, Kim. So, Frank, we hear a lot about, you know, the need to have healthy soils, but it's kind of a nebulous term. What do we really mean when we say we want to have good soil health? And how would we measure that to determine whether we had healthy soils or not? That's a good question, Tim. You know, for years... We called it soil quality, and that was kind of the area I worked in and some colleagues as well. But then back probably 10, 15 years ago, we saw this change in in name coming, and soil quality became soil health. And it's getting way more attention now, and it's called soil health. And I think it's, you know, the health concept is something that people can appreciate. We talk about human health, you know, that's an easy concept to grasp. A healthy human is fit and productive. Same with a healthy soil. It's not ill or sick. It's productive, growing healthy crops, supporting healthy livestock. So I just love the whole explosion of interest in soil health that we have right now. I think that's that's just great. So if you plant a crop and you get a really good yield, does that necessarily mean that the soil, is that an indicator that the soil is healthy and that that soil will stay healthy in the future as well? Like everything in nature, Tim, that relationship is not necessarily linear. So yes, a healthy soil will give high yield. But for example, this year we had a severe drought, so we have low yield. But that soil is still healthy. And it's probably, you know, this is the key thing. It's also more resilient to bounce back from drought than, say, an unhealthy soil. Frank, is it the organic matter in manure that does the most to improve soil health? Is that the key manure ingredient? Oh, that's right, Kim. Um, The organic matter, or basically the carbon, that works as a tonic for soil health. So the soil microbes just love that carbon in manure. And basically they're waiting to chow down on the manure, sort of like they were at a buffet, like once that manure is, is spread on the land. But if the organic matter is the key thing, well, couldn't farmers just leave their crop, like their straw or other crop residue behind and forget about manure? Because manure is not the easiest thing to work with. It would be easier just to work in your straw. I know, Kim, like straw, serious straw does contain carbon as well. and It will increase soil carbon. But basically, the amount you need to do that is huge compared to, say, the amount of manure that you need to apply. So, And cereal straw also has a much wider carbon to nitrogen ratio, like it's about 100 to 1, whereas manure is more like 20 to 1 or 30 to 1. And there's also like a lot more micronutrients in manure. So, yeah, I think manure is a much better soil amendment, especially if you want to boost that soil carbon content. It sounds like we're almost making compost here, Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Compost is, is a great. When I talk to people about manure, sometimes their eyes glaze over, Kim. But as soon as I talking, start talking about compost, people's eyes light up. It's, it's uh, got a much more positive connotation than manure. So if manure is like ultra-powerful as a soil amendment... Do you have to apply it every year? You know, that's the thing about manure, Kim. Like, more is not necessarily better. So, basically, if you follow what we call best management practices, 
you should soil test the field that you're applying the manure to to see what level of nutrients are in there already. And you should be testing your manure to see what's in it. And then you should decide on the application rate of the manure to match the nutrient uptake of the crop that you're going to grow. So the whole aim is not to have excess nutrients sitting around in the upper part of the soil profile. Basically, you want the crop there to take up those nutrients. And soils are kind of a leaky system. Excess nutrients like nitrates can leach to groundwater and phosphorus can, you know, end up in runoff to surface water. So, you know, you can have too much of a good thing. So you really have to do that matching that I talked about earlier. As in many things in life, Frank. <laughs> exactly, Kim. <laughs> you said it. So, Frank, I know you've done some work on the economics of transporting manure, and that's one of the things that determines the value of manure as a fertilizer because there's a cost associated with that. I think a lot of that's because manure has a lot of water, so you end up transporting quite a bit of water when you're moving manure from the site of production to the field. So how far can you know producers actually haul manure before it becomes uneconomical for it to be used as a fertilizer? Yeah, that, what you're referring to, Tim, I guess, is known as the break-even hauling distance. You know, and I always tell people there's nothing wrong with manure per se. Like, it's a really good soil amendment. The problem is that sometimes we just have too much of it in one place. So we have to look at transporting it. So basically that break-even hauling distance is how far you can economically haul fresh manure. And there were a couple of ag economists at the Lesbridge Research Centre. And about 30 years ago, they estimated that break-even hauling distance for fresh feedlot manure to be about 15 to 20 kilometers. So it's not really that far, Tim. So can you transport it further, Frank, if you convert it to compost? Yes, you can. That's uh, the easy answer to that one, Tim, because basically fresh manure, like you say, can contain a lot of water. If you've got a wet spring and you're cleaning out your pens, 70% of that weight in your in your manure truck could actually be water. So you don't want to be hauling water around because that's not that economical. So by composting it, you can drop that water content from 70% down to, you know, maybe 30, 35%. And you can also shrink the volume of the fresh manure when you compost it. So basically you're hauling more nutrients from A to B uh, in compost than in fresh manure. So it is more economical. Does that change the nutrient profile, Frank, that you deliver when you compare like compost to fresh manure? Yeah, basically it stabilizes the nutrients, Tim. So that carbon and nitrogen in the compost, it's more of a slow release than it is in fresh manure. Well, we know that, you know, manure can contain pathogens, right? And chemical fertilizer doesn't. So that's probably an advantage of chemical fertilizers over manure. But are there things we can do in terms of manure handling to reduce the risk of those pathogens entering the broader environment? You know, there is, Tim, and, uh, you know, coming back to composting again, that's one of the, the main benefits uh, of composting manure. So it does kill the pathogens like E. coli, Giardia, Cryptosporidium, uh, as well as weed seeds, and even some some of the diseases like Fusarium. We've done lots of trials over the years at the, at the research centre. So basically, if composting is done properly, it can heat up to 70 degrees Celsius, and you need 55 degrees Celsius uh, in the compost windrows to kill off those pathogens. 
essentially sanitize the manure. Let's get back to, well, we'll call it the elephant in the room, which is phosphorus. To meet crop nitrogen requirements using manure, that generally means over-applying the phosphorus. And as you said, too much phosphorus can get into the water, which more chance of contamination and killing fish and other aquatic life due to lack of oxygen. So what's the solution? Don't apply manure very often, like mix it and match between chemical fertilizer and manure? Yeah, that's that's a good question, Kim. Yeah, basically, you know, if we talk about nitrogen to phosphorus ratios, so typical agricultural crops have an N to P ratio of about five to six to one. So therefore, uh, they remove, you know, five to six times more nitrogen from the soil and phosphorus. In contrast, uh, livestock manures have much lower NTP ratios, about three to one. And since they're, like you say, since they're often applied on a, on a nitrogen basis to meet crop end demand, the phosphorus ends up being over applied. However, you know, if you turn it into compost, it's generally uh, purchased for land application. Like it's not donated like most fresh manure. So typically the compost application rates are actually lower than fresh manure which helps restrict the buildup of phosphorus. So like I said before, Kim, if we follow the manure BMPs by matching you know, our soil tests to what's in our manure or compost or our crop we're growing, we shouldn't be running into over-application problems. And that's the thing too about manure. Like it's often, you know, we call it a waste to talk about disposing of it, something to be gotten rid of. So if we just sort of flip it around and say, okay, Manure is a great resource and it's something to be utilized, I think. Just give it that more sort of positive slant. Well, I've spent my entire career working with manure in one form or the other, so I'm definitely (laughs) pro-manure. So, Frank, let's talk a little bit about the soil microbial population. I think we hear a lot now about the soil microbiome and how it contributes to soil health and the interaction between the microbiome and the roots within the plant and that. What are some of the things that soil microbes are doing that are important for crop growth? You know, Tim, like I mentioned earlier, soil microbes just love the carbon as a food source in manure. They cause it to be a slow release of nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus. So, uh, so basically the microbes are the decomposers of the organic matter. So they mineralize that organic matter and turn it into ammonium nitrogen, which in turn is then nitrified to nitrate nitrogen. And that's the form of nitrogen that the plants can take up. So manure has been shown definitely to increase the size, but also the diversity of the microbial population. So they say strength in numbers, Tim, but there's also strength in diversity that you get from yeah, I think we find the same sort of thing in the rumen and you know, in the cattle in terms of the types of nutrients that can be digested as a result of expanding diversity. Exactly, yeah. So another thing we hear about this this looming problem that's going to cause an end of all agriculture is is problems with soil compaction. And I think this is basically losing the airspace in the soil from driving over fields with heavy equipment, but how does compaction affect plant growth? And does applying manure help to counteract compaction? Yeah, it does, Kim. 
you know, soil compaction, yeah, it's considered one of the main forms of soil degradation. But sometimes I think the issue might be sort of, uh, you know, overplayed a bit here. I'm a great believer in the freeze-thaw cycles that we get during the winter in Alberta. And our frost depth is quite deep. So that can alleviate soil compaction. And basically you need wet soils in order to compact them. So like you say, heavy equipment or even the hoof action of animals, you know, essentially squeezes the air out of the soil pores and increases the density of the soil. So that's what compaction is. And that can impede, you know, root penetration and slow down plant growth. So what manure does, it basically adds organic matter and makes the soil more sponge-like. So if you think about how spongy a peat bog is, it's really high in organic matter and it's not that compactable. So manure is kind of like a, you know, it's got high organic matter, not you know, not quite as high as peat, but it essentially is it's the same sort of mechanism. That's cool. So maybe we don't have to worry quite as much about compaction in our climate as long as it keeps freezing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think too, Kim, like, like I say, you need wet soils in order to compact them. So maybe under irrigation, it would be more of an issue than, under dry land scenario. So under irrigation, they need manure more than the dry land people do. Yeah, that's that's okay. a good point. So Frank, yeah. we're really, I think, becoming increasingly convinced that we're experiencing climate change with the droughts that we've had recently and floods we've had in other locations and various geographical locations around the world. And these droughts, they, they seem to be becoming more frequently. The forest fires we've been experiencing as well. And, you know, I think some of that is probably to, determined to some extent by the water holding capacity of the soil. So what can manure do? You know, what's the relationship between manure and the water holding capacity? Could manure be a way of adaptation or to increasing drought conditions? Definitely, Tim. Adding manure to soil increases water holding capacity, mainly by, you know, reducing water density and increasing the soil's porosity. But it really depends on the texture of the soil that you're dealing with. So when we talk about soil texture, that's the amounts of sand, silt and clay in a soil. So basically the increase in water holding capacity from manure application is larger in sandy soils, followed by loam soils, and then it's least actually in in heavier clay soils. So the simple answer is, well, that depends, Tim. (laughs) Like a lot of other answers. <laughs> it's a good multi-purpose answer, Frank. Huh? <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, Frank, I think the manufacturing of chemical fertilizers in itself contributes to greenhouse gas emissions because we use fossil fuel uh, in the production of those right. fertilizers. And likewise, manure during its decomposition will produce some of the greenhouse gases as well. Can you just talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the differences in emissions that might arise from manure versus chemical fertilizers? Yeah, you know, basically you'll get emissions from both of them, like you say, Tim. Going back to compost, we find that we actually have lower emissions uh, from the soil when we apply compost versus fresh manure. So, and then compared to chemical fertilizers, you know, sometimes it's much of a muchness in terms of what we can get. And you kind of have to look at the overall picture, like you say, going back to the manufacturing process of the chemical fertilizer and even going back to when the manure is first excreted by the animal. So you kind of have to follow that life cycle and look at the big picture 
from the beginning sort of to the end of the cycle to to sort of weigh up you know the pros and cons of manure versus chemical fertilizer. So Frank, I think manure plays a pretty important role in the carbon cycle or the circular economy that we describe in terms of crops that are produced that go into feed livestock as a upscaling value added type of approach in terms of the production of the meat and the milk and then that manure going out onto the land like do you see that sort of fitting into some of our additional approaches to adapting to climate change and promoting carbon in our soil or carbon sequestration in our soils i do tim you know the the whole uh, interest in regenerative agriculture right now like manure is a very distinct component of that and people realize that you know you hear so much now too about you know crop and livestock integration you know like i mentioned earlier the farm i grew up in back in ireland you know the crops and the livestock were integrated and essentially the manure produced by the livestock was recycled through the soil and back into plants that were harvested off as harvest time so you know that whole cycle you know i think it's it's a great one and it's when we sort of interfere with part of that cycle that maybe things start to go awry so yeah i'm convinced that manure is an important component of agriculture and if it's used properly and used uh, you know at the right application rates like I said earlier, it's really good for your Yeah, soil. Frank, I know when I was in Rwanda over there, I was quite impressed, like in Africa, how much they value manure as a fertilizer and as a source. They almost value it as, as much as the milk is produced. Do you see then some of these changes that are coming down the pipe that in developed countries that we're going to view manure more as a resource and something of, as a valuable commodity rather than just as a waste stream coming out of the production system? I think that's already starting to happen, Tim. I think people are you know, realizing, that, like there's so much land out there that can benefit from manure application. And when you look at the stats, I think like in, in the province of Alberta, only about 5% of the cropland area receives manure annually, like in any one year. So 5%, that's very low. So like I say, there's so much land out there that could benefit from a manure application to increase soil carbon, uh, increase microbial activity, and give us those healthy soils. I think you've done fabulously, Frank. Thanks for filling us in on manure and soil health. And also, congratulations on your pending retirement. And it's super that you could fit in this podcast before you head off to your life of leisure and total fun, 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 fun. Heading off to greener pastures, no pun intended, Kim. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that the Canadian agricultural sector really appreciates the uh, contribution that Frank has made to Canadian science, soil science. Thanks very much, Tim. I always enjoy talking about manure. I know it's not very pleasant uh, dinner party conversation, but yeah, it's... uh, it's a great topic. Thanks for having me on your well, podcast. Well, we love talking about it too, Frank, and it fits right in with Cows on the Planet. <laughs> awesome. Tim, we've heard about some manure pluses, such as improved water holding capacity and soil microbial populations, increased soil organic carbon, and some minuses, such as too much phosphorus, presence of pathogens, 
and the limited distance that manure can be hauled economically. So what are your take-home points from what Frank had to say? Thanks, Kim. I think Frank did a really great job of emphasizing the role that manure can play in soil health and, and promoting those healthy microbial communities that help with plant growth. Yeah, there were some downsides, you know, such as the pathogens, but he outlined ways of which those could be managed through composting as a way of, of reducing the risk of pathogens entering the broader the broader environment. He also talked about the greenhouse gas emissions that come from both manure and chemical fertilizers. But I think unlike chemical fertilizers, manure adds that important organic matter, which can contribute to soil health as well. So I think uh, manure definitely has a role within that circular economy and, and can be an important part of our integrated crop and livestock uh, systems. So yeah, I think manure's had a little bit of a bad rap in the past. We probably need to rebrand it, give it a new name, that some new great marketing ploy, green gold or something. Yeah, actually, there's an interesting insight, Kim, when you, you say the rebranding. The word manure actually is related to manuscript, like the, the scientific manuscript. So it has quite a noble origin, actually, because um, it comes from the Latin manus, uh, like for hand, because manure was uh, applied by hand in olden days. You know, a manuscript obviously means like a handwritten document. So, um, yeah, so... Humble manure is actually related to the lofty scientific Well, I think that, that's a lot better than saying that our manuscripts are connected to crap. <laughs> yeah, that's Although true. Although a few too. of them are. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Frank. That's an extra good point. But we'll leave it up to greater minds than ours to come up with a new marketing name for to make manure sound even even better. So thanks to everyone for listening. If you have comments about the podcast or suggestions about future podcasts, please visit our Facebook page, Cows on the Planet. We can also be reached by Instagram at Cows on the Planet or Twitter at Planet underscore Cows. Our next podcast will be, would it be better for the planet to replace cattle with native species such as bison? It will feature Chris Helsler of the Nature Conservancy of Nebraska. We're looking forward to hearing about the role that bison can play in grasslands. We need now to thank our production team. Carter Potts is our skillful audio engineer and knows where to find a stirring Soviet theme. Allison McNaughton and Uvi Abiskeria are working on podcast distribution. Now for some words from our sponsors which are the Beef Cattle Research Council, Canada Beef, and the University of Lethbridge. Nothing we are talking about represents the views of these organizations. We are just looking for the honest opinions of other scientists, farmers, or experts in any of the areas we are discussing.